Boy, I didn't get many amens on that. What happened? <laughs> Praise the Lord. God bless all of you today. We're going to sing a little chorus in a minute, but I just uh, just wanted to share something with you that uh, I just... Uh, Lord kind of reminded me of this morning as I was praying early. You know, we, we talk about... We're going to talk about prayer again this morning, and we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, <clears throat> talking about the Father part, our Father, which are in heaven. And I got to remembering when my wife and I were raising our family, and we started with one, and two, and three, and then four. Quit. <laughs> That's enough. I had a friend that he wanted a boy so bad that he wound up with six girls and finally had his boy. Uh-uh, I'm not going there. But you know, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, when, you're, when your children begin to walk, you know, that sometimes in situations they just reach up and take daddy's hand, you know. They want to feel that security in having a hold of a father's hand. Amen? Right, Brother John? And if they start to fall, you're able to grab their hand a little stronger and keep them from falling. Amen. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when they realize their need and they do that voluntarily. And it's a beautiful thing when we recognize our need of God That's right. Amen. and we take his hand voluntarily. God, Amen. I need you. Amen. I can't walk alone. Right. Alone. I may fall. Lord, please, give me your hand. I want to take your hand. I want to be led by you. Amen? Amen. Praise God. What a beautiful thought the Lord gave me in that regard. And I just want to always be just reaching out and taking his hand and saying, Lord, I need you. Guide me. Lead me in the right pathway. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, Sister Walmer has selected the course for our beginning this morning. And... Uh, Sister Jean is going to put it up on the screen. Very simple, simple music, simple words. And it just very simply says, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. Yes, it's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Jesus on the inside, on the outside, oh, what a change in my life. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside, oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. Can you say praise the Lord? Can you say thank you, Jesus? Hallelujah. What a beautiful thing to have the Lord on the inside, working on the outside. Amen. Amen. 
Some people think they don't need the outside change, but the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. I don't care what kind of an argument they want to give me. What's on the inside is going to be reflected on the outside. Our holiness under the Lord in our manner of dress, in the manner of our speech, and all of these other things that are important to God. They really are important to God. Amen. All right. Well, I did it again. I forgot my glasses. I tell you what, I just... What did you say? <laughs> but I think I got this in big enough letters that I can read without them. Praise God. Lesson number four, we're talking this morning again about prayer. Because prayer is such a very vital, important part of our lives. Amen? Amen. If it isn't, it ought to be. And it needs to be more than just our few moments of prayer before service. Our homes need to be a place of prayer. God needs to be able to look down on our homes as he looked down on Cornelius' home. And he was seen out of Cornelius' house a tower. Amen. Being built up to heaven that got God's attention. Amen. Yes. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So for today's lesson, we're going to begin a more detailed uh, study, analysis of what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Amen. Amen. First thing that we need to understand uh, that what Jesus gave to his disciples was not in actuality a prayer to be said. I really, really have a problem with that terminology. I said a prayer. And I was talking to uh, some people in Brazil, and uh, I said, is my thinking correct that when you say I said a prayer, that you said a prayer that was written, that was written by somebody else. They said that's exactly what it means. And they came from Catholicism where most prayers are read. And even in some of your uh, later evangelical churches, they had what they called prayer books. And you just kind of, oh, this looks like a good prayer to say today. And you read it and, well, I got my prayers in for today. But, you know, you really don't express your heart and your soul to God by somebody else's prayer. It may be a beautiful piece of poetry, a beautiful uh, piece that has been written. But I tell you what, I want to express myself to the Lord. Amen. Amen. I am not ignorant. I am not <laughs> uneducated. I do know my ABCs and I am able to express myself to God. Amen. And that is what we find when we study the Old Testament tabernacle. You go to the brazen altar, you repent. You go to the brazen labor, you are baptized. You move on into the holy place. Your life is illuminated by the oil of the Holy Ghost. You eat of the showbread, which is typical of God's word. You go on to the golden altar right before the veil that would enter into the most holy place. And there you... Uh, offer your incense, which is your praise and your adoration and your thanksgiving to God. And then when Jesus died, that veil in the temple, that thick veil that you could have hooked it up to two oxen and pulled on it and it would not be ripped because it was so thick and so strong. 
but it was ripped from top to bottom by an act of God that showed us that we had access into the very presence of God. That is our right as God's children. And yet there are so many who do not take advantage of that privilege. And that's why the writer of one of the uh, epistles said, you know, let's get out of this mode of just talking about repentance and baptism and repentance and baptism and repentance and baptism. He said, let's go on, go on to bigger things and better things and more profound experiences in God. And that's what will happen if we learn how to practice uh, our life of prayer. Many people practice uh, the saying of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, my Lord, in less than one minute, they got it done. (laughs) It just doesn't. It just doesn't get the job done for me, and I hope it doesn't for you. Jesus gave the instruction regarding prayer to help us structure our prayer so that we will be heard and answered by the Almighty. The problem that I have is I, I'm not listening to you, okay? But I have been as a pastor for many years, and I've heard a lot of people pray. But they get down, and they start out, Right from the beginning. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, 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 gimme. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need something else. No praise, no worship, no adoration, no thanksgiving for what God has already done. And so the Lord gives us a structured uh, model for our prayers that we can learn from. And without uh, uh, erring in that regard, we can have our prayers answered. Uh, What we are going to read below is an outline for the formation of our prayers. Following this outline, we will, uh, following this outline, will help us to enter into contact with the Almighty and remain in contact to fill, that is to fulfill the admonition of 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And what does that say, Sister Dee? Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Aren't you glad you were able to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Pray with us. Oh, Sister Gina, you cheated on me. All right. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. That is so good. That is so good. Pray without ceasing. And it just... It just means that we can live in the realm of God's Spirit in such a way that we are in an attitude of prayer and worship and thanksgiving during our waking moments. Amen? And many have been the times when I have even been involved in prayer in my sleep, in worship in my sleep, and would awake worshiping the Lord and adoring the Lord or wake with a uh, outline for a message on my heart. And I, many years ago, I kept paper and pen right by my bedside on my nightstand. If I were to awake during the night, I would write those things down to not lose the beautiful things that God gave me. All right? Very quickly, we're going to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And we're reading what is called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, I want us to begin to break down these uh, various uh, little bits and pieces of this Lord's Prayer and to understand them more fully, all right? Uh, The first thing I want us to consider is how is it that we consider God? How do you consider God? All right? If you consider God as just another human being, uh, you're in deep trouble, my friend. (laughs) You're in deep trouble. If you consider God as the Almighty, then you're on the right track. Uh, uh, Sister um, Claudia, you know, if I offended you the other night, please forgive me. Thank you. But uh, would you permit me to use that as an illustration this morning? Because I asked Sister Claudia up here, and many of you may not have heard me. It was kind of a private thing between us and Pastor Nathan. But I said, do you believe? And she hesitated. And for a few seconds there, she just paused and finally said, yes. And I said, why did you pause? She said, because I had to think about it a minute. You know, we read it, excuse me, please, I, I, I don't mean to be offensive, all right? But I want everybody to understand that we need to develop a relationship with God when somebody said, do you believe that God is? Yes! Do you believe that God saves? Yes! Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Yes! Now, where does that positive attitude come from? That positive attitude comes from the reading of God's word. Because in God's word, we understand these things, all right? So how do we consider God, all right? I want to I talk about a few things here this morning that I have found interesting. In the Old Testament, we find that many referred to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, the God of our ancestors, but not necessarily our God. Amen. Now, it was great that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but... What happened, Brother Josh, in the succeeding generations? Okay? And obviously, they did not have the same faith as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because we see them going into idolatry and believing more in a carven God and an image of clay or stone or wood or whatever than they did in the Almighty. That's the problem. So we've got to understand who God is and in whom we place our faith and to whom we direct our prayers. Amen? Amen. In Daniel 3.26, the king refers to God as the most high God. But he doesn't refer to him as my God or our God. He saw indeed a great miracle done in the preservation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the fiery furnace, and and, and he said, well, that's a great God. He can save from fire. 
He can protect from the fiery furnace that I told him to heat up seven times hotter than it's ever been before. Okay? And he was impressed with that. And he even declared that uh, they shouldn't talk bad anymore about <clears throat> Daniel's God. All right? Daniel 4.2, the king refers again to God as the high God. All right. That's because they had others that were lower. Yeah. Others in whom they believed and others in whom they confided. This was the high God. All right. So what we have to do in our in the course of our prayers, we have got to understand that God is our God. I love the use of the personal pronoun. All right? Amen. <clears throat> so the important question that each one of us must ask ourselves is, who is God to us? Yeah. Is he the God of your father? My father was a very, if I can use the term, religious man. With men of great faith a man of prayer, a man of Bible reading, a man who loved God. But I can't trust him. I've got to have my own experience. He's deceased. He's no longer here to, to guide me and direct me in the right pathway. I needed and I received from God my own experience. Dad could say, the Lord is my shepherd, as David said. And he is my God. But I've got to also come to the place where I have such a personal relationship with God that I can say he is my God. Yes. My, God. my God. Hallelujah. Amen. If God is only the God of your parents, you're in trouble. Yeah. Paul, your parents are wonderful Christian people. They've served God for many years. They have been faithful to God for many years. But you're not going to heaven grabbing a hold of the coattail of your father. You've got to have your own experience with God. You've got to be able to say with them, the Lord is my God. Hallelujah. So very important. And who is this man to you? My father. We need to lift our eyes heavenward and say, My father. My heavenly father. Hallelujah. Praise God. To some, and I hope it isn't your case, God is the most high God, the most holy or high God to your pastor. Oh, I'm sick. I'm sick. Pastor, please pray for me. I'm sick. Well, it's good that we have a pastor. But what about your personal communication with God? Amen. Amen. I'm sick. Pastor's not available. even, if we want to kind of talk about hierarchy a little bit, 
not be meeting you, okay? But a new, more newer convert. Pray for me, brother. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And if God is your God, and He is your personal God, you can do all of the works of your Father. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, and this is not in our notes, Jesus said, and greater works than, ye, than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. Amen. I, I'm sorry. I, I find such a lack of faith in the hearts of, of many people who often have walked with God for many years. But they do not, do not believe that the laying on of their hand or their prayer can be effectual in the life of someone. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. That's sad. Amen? Yeah. Praise God. I, I believe I <clears throat> talked to Brother, uh, Brother Camarina, our pastor. I said it was a time when uh, our congregation in Brazil had grown and there were a lot of needs and and I always had a line of people for prayer every Sunday night. And it finally got to the place I was praying for so many people. By the time I had prayed for all these people, preached the message and worked in the altar, I would get home and I was just like, I was dead. I was dead. I was exhausted. Now the Spirit of God flowed through me. Not broken. I'm just saying that's who I was. I was God's tool. I was God's vessel. His Spirit flowed through me. But unfortunately, this human body can only stand so much of that. And I remembered the advice of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who said, Moses, you can't do all of this alone. That was when he appointed 70 other men from all of the tribes of Israel to assist him in judging all of the problems. God said, that's what you need to do. And I selected five or six people from the congregation that were people of prayer. And when prayer for the sick came, that was right after our singing of songs in, in the evening service, and people would come for prayer. I had five or six people uh, stretched along the platform. Every one of them had a line behind them. They were praying for people, and God did some absolutely marvelous thing through the prayers of, please, I'm being facetious, mere saints. All right? But they are saints of God. And God's Holy Spirit is in them. And they can do a great work Amen. through the laying on of their hands and pray effectual prayer before God. Amen. It gave me a great release. It helped me not to be so exhausted after a Sunday night service. And God ministered through those people. We had a young man in the church who had given us just a lot of problems. I mean, just big problems. His name was Mario. All right? And, but he was getting his act together and getting straightened out and seeking God and being faithful to church. And I was sitting in my office on the second floor one Sunday night, and God said, tell Mario that you want him up there praying for the sick tonight. I, okay, Lord. We didn't, wasn't fitting my program of things, but I did. And you could see it almost on the faces of the people. See, what's he doing up there? You know? And nobody got in, formed a line in front of him. Poor guy was really feeling bad. You know, I can imagine how he was feeling embarrassed. 
So I was always on the platform and I was kind of coordinating things. I could meet people in line and say, get another line. So I directed three or four people over to him and he prayed for them. And God honored me. God honored his word. God honored his instruction to me. And God honored the prayers of Mario. And those people were healed that night. Well, the next Sunday night, Mario went up there. I didn't have to direct anyone to his line. It got around the church that his prayers were effective. (laughs) Praise God. And my friend, I want you to understand that your prayers can too be effective. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Your pastor does not have some kind of exclusive access to God. He is the one who has, or he is the one that has supernatural powers due to his position in the church. This is a religious philosophy that has been passed down uh, through the practices and the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Sorry. Don't mean to offend anybody, but that's it. And what, what, a, what, a, what a disastrous thing it is. You've got to pray to some saint. You know, I'm talking about, you know, saints of God that have been duly saved by the power of God. But some saint that they have ordained as a saint in their church, who in turn is going to pray to Mary, who in turn is going to direct their, your request to Jesus, and then he's going to take it to the Father. My Lord. Wow. Kind of sounds like to me a case of playing that game. You ever played that game, Gossip? <laughs> you have 12, 15 people around the table and you tell somebody something. By the time it gets down to the end, you don't even recognize it anymore. That's why I prefer to take my request directly to God. Amen? Directly. All right. So we are able to come to God and say, I, our Father, I am impressed by the use of the personal possessive pronoun that we are encouraged to use. Our, unfortunately to many people, God is not personal. He is a being, distant, unknown, difficult to know, vengeful, quick to anger, one who establishes more and more rules that no one can obey. And our former president, uh, Barack Obama declared that. He said, all those things, there's nobody can ever do all that. Well, no, they can't unless they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Once you're filled with the Holy Ghost, it is possible to obey the rules that God has established in his word for a godly life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Now, I have ministered in situations uh, to people uh, telling them that God is our Heavenly Father. Now, unfortunately, they related that statement to their earthly father, who was a drunk, who cursed and swore and beat his kids, and they reconciled the heavenly father with the earthly father. I'm sorry that that has to be that way. But when you have a good father who, with lots of love and care, holds a child on his lap. (laughs) You begin to understand better the role of a father, a loving parent, a kind parent, a parent who supplies the needs of his family. Amen? Amen. And so sometimes we have to really point people to the Word of God 
so they can really understand who God is in a true father image. Amen? Amen. And I asked the other night if any of you, when you were children, if you worried whether there's going to be enough to eat in your house. Absolutely not. Paul didn't worry about it. Brother Nathan didn't worry about it. Why? Because they knew that daddy was going to work and he was going to bring home enough money to buy the food that was to be put on the table. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And we have got to have this same kind of trust in God as his children. We believe, as Paul said, and Paul used that personal pronoun. He said, and my God shall supply all your needs. Can we do a little substitution there? And my Father shall supply all your needs. Oh, hallelujah. I get excited about these things. Amen? Amen. Because it's true. Praise God. All right. David declared in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Personal. Mine. Belongs to me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Please let us understand that this personal pronoun, the use of this personal program, came to us a long time before the revelation of Jesus Christ as Savior. And I've already mentioned to you Philippians 4.19, and I have been giving Sister Gina fits back there because I've been jumping all over the place with these scripture references this morning. And um, I know she's a good Christian woman, she'll forgive me. All right? So as I begin to as I begin to think about these few scriptures that I was, you know, aware of just, you know, off the top of my head about my God and so on, I thought, I wonder how many times this is used. So I went to my wonderful Bible concordance and I found that the term my God is used thirty seven times in the Bible. So it wasn't just David and and, and, and Paul that had a revelation of the personal nature of God in their lives. I thought, well, what about our God? And I looked up our God, and many different Bible writers used that term, our God, 37 times. Many different writers. So it wasn't just one here and there, but it was anyone who had a good relationship with God They knew that it was a personal relationship and they could call him my father, our father. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And how that changes our attitude with relationship to God and it is how we consider God and it makes our prayers more effective because we know that we are directing a request to God. I raised three boys. With much help from my wife. All they had to do was come and say, Dad, uh, you know, I think I need some new shoes. Yeah, they did. There was a hole in the bottom of theirs. All right? You need some new shoes. Well, let's go get some new shoes. Let's go get some new shoes. All right? So we go get some new shoes. All right? Praise God. And so we can make our needs known to God. 
beyond these expressions of my God, our God, there are other expressions, Lord my God, Lord our God, my Lord, among many others. And that is all through Scripture by many different people. And that blessed me. <clears throat> A deep personal knowledge of God is important. However, we need to not just know about Him. We need to know Him. Know Him. I am certain there's only one person present in this building today that could go out and buy me a pair of shoes that would fit my feet. It's the person that really knows me and has known me for almost 60 years. She could do it. But you couldn't. Now you may take a look at my foot and well, I, I think I know about what size it is. My foot is a little bit smaller than Brother Danny's. My Lord, man. You could put that thing in the river and get a paddle and have a canoe, man. I tell you what. That guy has got one more firm understanding. Sorry, Danny. I know you're a cut up. <laughs> 13? 14. 14. I can believe that, bro. I can believe that. And it's hard for me to find an 11 and a half. They go 9 and a half, 10, 10 and a half, 11, 12. <laughs> 11 don't fit, and a 12 is too big. I want an 11 and a half. So I thrown away a pair of shoes the other day. I got to go get some new shoes. So I went into a store, and, and I, I know that it's going to be a battle to find an 11 and a half. And I found two pairs. I bought both of them. So I got some shoes set back that I'm going to be able to use later on. They're going to be the right size. Praise God. All right? God knows our needs. Yes, He does. He knows exactly what you have need of. Yes, He does. Amen. Did you understand me? Amen. And you know when God knew that? When did God know what your need was? Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you understand that. Before you ask. Now that is not an excuse to not ask. Oh, well, God knows, so I don't need to pray. No, that, that's, that's not it. He knows, but he is waiting for his children yeah. to express their needs to him. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Let me hasten on here. All right? <clears throat> This suit that I have on this morning, it doesn't fit me quite as well as it did when my wife bought it for me. I have gained a little weight. I've not stayed slim and trim like Brother Camarena. Number one, I have a very good cook. And number two, I've always had a very good appetite. The only time I didn't have a good appetite was when I got sick with hepatitis. And I lost my appetite. Oh my, I was so glad when I got well and I had a good appetite. Matter of fact, I was so sick with hepatitis that even the smell of food just made me nauseated. Horrible. But <clears throat> my wife came to the States and it was a year before our younger son was going to get married. 
And she knew that all the clothes that I had back in Brazil would never serve to go to my son's wedding. She happened to be at Dillard's and saw this suit, and it was on sale. My, you know, sale. I, I, I believe, Brother Josh, with the guy that said, to pay retail is a sin. You know, you got to find this stuff on sale. All right? And she took a look at the labels and said, hmm, that's my husband's size. She just pulled it off the rack, paid for it, put it in my daughter, our daughter's closet, and left it there for one year. She said, I got your suit bought for the wedding. Uh-huh. Boy, that's kind of running a risk. But she knew. And when I got there, put it on, the only thing I had to do was take it back and have the cuffs put in. Rest of it, perfect. Doesn't fit like that now, but anyway. All right? Praise God. So, because we know God, because we know who He is, we are able to do as we are instructed in Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right? Now, I don't even know where but Paul lives. He gives me his address. I drive up to his house. I would not open the door of his house and walk in. Is that a doorbell in your house? That doorbell. So I went, ding dong. Then I'll wait for him to come and open the door. If he came to my house, he would do the same. I am a father, but I'm not his father. Now my kids come, they can walk in anytime they want to. If God is our Father, we have access to Him any time of the day or night. Whenever there is a need, we can come to Him in prayer and move into that place where God abides. Part number two of our study this morning, what is the place God inhabits? The Bible says, which art in heaven. That precludes an idea that God may be similar to a human being that abides here and is subject to all of the restrictions of life on earth. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Place of his habitation is in the heavens. All right? God is not bound to earth, not bound to our solar system, and not even to our galaxy. Many years ago when I was Still in the United States, I rode school bus to kind of substitute our, and that is to substitute, uh, give us more supply of our uh, income from the church. And uh, I did a lot of special tours with the kids from school, took them to the science thing at the Space Center in Seattle, Washington. My, what a beautiful, beautiful thing that was to see the pictures that they had taken of space. The galaxies. The many galaxies. We live, our, 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 our small solar system is within the confines of the Milky Way galaxy. And from our viewpoint, we're able to look up and see the Milky Way galaxy of which we are a part. But beyond that, there are many other galaxies 
This, the distance is so great that they talk about light years. And uh, I'm not going to try to go into detail about that because you'd forget it, as I have. All right? But it is a measure of distance that is far beyond any measure that we have. And those things are out there. And that out there is the habitation of my God. Do we understand that? I forget how many hours or days it is for man to get to the moon. Yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> Talking about sending a man to Mars, huh? Well, he can send somebody else. I want to stay here, okay? <laughs> they don't think that if he goes, he's coming back. That's going to be a pretty big sacrifice on someone's part, all right? But it's going to take weeks to get there because it is so distant from Earth. But let us understand the immensity. And as I sat in that, that auditorium that day and saw that display on the screen, I had visions of how big my God is, how much space he fills. Because the Bible says, and we studied it in our study, about the attributes of God, he is omnipresent in all of that. Let your faith soar. Let your faith grow. Let your faith be bigger than it's ever been before as you recognize the habitation of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Which art in heaven. Which art in heaven. Praise God. And uh, do other Bible texts sustain this declaration? Absolutely. Following just a few scriptural references that occur with, the power, with this powerful declaration. Solomon, in his prayer of dedication of the temple, made this declaration. But will God indeed dwell in the, on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it. I don't, I don't know where, Brother Camarina, that, that Solomon got his view of God, but it certainly was correct. Maybe as he laid on the hillside some night tending his father's sheep, and gazing up into the heavens, uh, he realized that there was a distance out there that he could not comprehend. And he said, that's where my God lives. That's where he abides. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Uh, we uh, go down now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66 and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye shall build me? And where is the place of my rest? All right? All of that. All right? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Stephen cited the Old Testament in his final sermon before, before being martyred to inform the hearers regarding the greatness of God. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me? saith the Lord, or what is the place of my habitation? Psalms further affirms this truth. Chapter 11, verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in the heaven. His eyes behold in his eyelids try the children of men. 103, 19 of Psalms, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Oh, hallelujah. 
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm not going to call you again and tell you I'm going to quit early, Brother Camarillo. Can't do it. My heart is so full of these things. And I want to share them with you because I want you to have the same faith and confidence in God that I have. And so hallowed is our name. Hallowed means to make holy, to make sacred, to honor as holy or sacred, to declare holy, consecrate, bless, sanctify. The name of the Lord has to be sanctified on your lips. The, the name of the Lord has to be sanctified in your heart. Right. The name of the Lord has to be something that is holy to you, right. not to be used lightly. Amen. Amen. And of course, this is a direct takeoff from the commandments from Exodus 20 and verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I, I, I was studying this passage of Scripture last night, and I thought, you know, it would be interesting to go to the word vain and see what the word vain really means, all right? The word vain means... To make without effect or success. Producing no good result. Fruitless of no value or importance. Worthless, empty, without sense of wisdom. Fully senseless. Wow. We can't consider God's name to be in that category. We think of vain. And of course, I remember my instructions from my childhood. You know, it was, we weren't to curse using God's name or curse using the word God. But it goes far beyond that. It is... The reverence that we must have with God's name. Right. Amen. Now, you got to sit real fast now because I'm gonna make I'm gonna make mention of something here today yes. that Amen. may be just a little bit shocking to you, but I want you to consider whether or not you may be using the name of the Lord in vain. Now, my father's profession forced him to work among men whose language was the constant using of the name of the Lord in vain. They were horrible men. They really were. That was his job. Therefore, he was very careful and insistent that his children would never use the name of the Lord in vain. Be it far from me today, over 70 years later, that I would use God's name in vain. Amen? Amen. He taught us that it was wrong to even use some of the common words that just might be blasphemous to the Lord. Ready? Let's see Bill Fasten. Some people say, geez. Is that a little short for Jesus? Yes, it is. That's what my father taught me. You don't use that word. All right? Okay? And it was absolutely prohibited as appeared to be a form of Jesus, I too think that we ought to be very careful with our speech to make sure that we are not in some way taking the name of the Lord in vain. Don't look around. I, I hope nobody's got any rotten tomatoes to rot me today. You ready, Brother Josh? <laughs> What about the word, I even hesitate to use these words, but I've got to be specific this morning. Forgive me, Brother Cameron. But the word darn is short 
for another word. Is it not? And it should not be in our vocabulary unless you're talking about what you're doing to socks. (laughs) And only the older people know what I'm talking about. Sister Claude, you ever heard about darning socks? <laughs> well, my dad worked in the woods and it was very cold and he wore caulk boots and he had to use very heavy wool socks to keep his feet warm. They were expensive and sometimes they wore holes in the toes. And my mother had, yes, well, the daddy knows what I'm talking She had the same type of wool thread, heavy, heavy thread. And a special darning needle. And she would fix up that hole and and thread that through there in the same way that the socks were made. That's the only case you have to use the word darn, okay? (laughs) It cannot be some kind of a little seemingly unmeaningful cuss word, all right? Now, one that has really bothered me in recent times. And I've heard this used so many times. There is a word that is one of the most vilest swear words in the English language. And people use it all the time. Even educated people use it. I will not repeat it. All right? Women use it. They have degraded themselves to using that most horrible swear word. All right? But then there are some Christian people that come along and somehow or the other they lack vocabulary. And so they want to use another word. And they say, freaky. I told my family, I don't want to hear that word out of your lips again. I'm talking about my grown children. Because it's too close to the term that the world uses. And even if your friends don't consider it that, those people in the world will consider it that. And they will classify you along with them. Sister Linda, did you obey me this morning? Or did you do what I asked you to do? Look up that verse of scripture. You forgot it, didn't you? Nay, nay, yay, yay. (laughs) The word wasn't obey. It was, did you... Uh, Follow my suggestion. (laughs) We have fun, don't we? Okay. But that's what the Bible says. Let your nay be nay and your yay be yay. You know, and and, and I I hear people using these, these, these horrible words. And I think, why is that even in there? It's totally unnecessary. Read it for us. Huh? Oh, but let your communication be yay, yay, nay, nay, for whatsoever <coughs> is more than these cometh of evil. Wow, that's pretty strong. Matthew 5.37. All right. Mark that down. Matthew 5.37. All right. Okay? And, and, and I listen to some people speak sometimes. And, and th- there is no need for them to add all those preservatives. Preserv- preserv- 
pejoratives in their language, okay? Those, those other expressions. It's totally unnecessary. I find that the good, common, pure English language is sufficient for me to express myself in all situations. I don't have to compromise my faith and my relationship with God using those things that are not honoring Him. May we be very careful to use the name of the Lord with honor, respect, and great reverence. And I wrote in my notes, always, in all caps. May we always approach God with even greater honor and respect than we would give to earthbound dignitaries. Sister Linda. I'm not saying it's wrong to repeat it, but it needs to go far beyond just the saying of that prayer. I hope you are a forgiving pastor. I hope that I help you people. I really do. I pray and ask God to help me, to help you, to be every day a better Christian, a better child of God, more pleasing to God, more acceptable to God. Amen? Amen. One thing I'm so glad, I was talking with somebody about that this week, that I'm so glad that we, you know, we're, we're not on a big time crunch here. Yeah. You know, if we run over just a little bit, I run over, the rest of it runs over a little bit. What's the big deal? Your stomach will handle being a little bit late for dinner, all right? And you know, and you know we, we have a great advantage in having the church the way we do because we're able to get to the restaurant, if that's your case, after the Baptists have eaten and gone. Look, <laughs> Cameron, thank you so much for your kindness. And uh, let's stand together. <clears throat> Praise God.